Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Um, I had a full month of March episodes planned out. I'm not going to be able to do them. I have a family medical emergency that is pretty much going to probably make the next two to three weeks impossible for me to record. Um, so what I'm doing instead is I am going to play some older episodes of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World, which is my second podcast. I hope you give it a listen, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's informative for you. I will try to get back with everybody with regular episodes for the month of April. Thank you, and I really appreciate it. Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Welcome to Jack and Kenyatta Save the World. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope everybody had a a lovely Christmas, got everything that you wanted. And I'm sure if you've listened before, you know that that I am the Jack half of the Kenyatta and Jack. And joining me as always is the amazing, the awesome Kenyatta. Kenyatta, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jack. And even better after that fantastic introduction, you're making me blush. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, I try. I try. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah. We, we're going to be talking about a pretty pretty serious topic today so we needed to get a little little lightheartedness to start this episode because um it's something that is sort of topical for what's been going on sort of this past year but it's probably something that a majority of americans don't really know a whole lot about and if you you do know about it you may not actually know what you think you know about it because there's been a lot of sort of untruths told about this particular subject and i i'm really looking forward to what's going to uh, uh be told to us today kenyetta did a ton of research on this and so i'm going to pass it over to kenyetta and she's going to tell us what this week's subject is so here you go throwing you the football and received okay so as Jack mentioned, what we're going to be talking about today, it's it's pretty heady stuff, and I knew a little bit about it, but I did need to go do quite a bit of research, and a lot of what I found was, in turn, <laughs> sad, but also quite remarkable. And today, we're going to talk about the country of Haiti mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, its history, um, the background of its people and its creation, 
And it's relevant to current events because if anybody's been paying attention to the news in the last few months, you'll know that there was um, um, an instance where Haitian refugees had made their way up through South America, through Central America, and were trying to cross the border into Mm -hmm. the States. And unfortunately, they were met with some apparent um, rough handedness. And I'm putting that mildly. Yeah. Um, Was it? Well, I guess it was two episodes ago. We spoke a little bit about Haiti, and that's sort of what made us think, you know what, we need to do a deep dive into that. So, yes. uh, so here we go. Yes. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. So um, just a brief, well, I'll try to be as brief as possible, but I don't want to underscore the importance. Yeah. Of Take all the, the time you need. I don't want, and I don't want to underscore the importance of how, remarkable of a history this country has, even with the quote-unquote bad reputation that the country and its citizens get. It really does have a remarkable um, foundation. So just the facts up front, the Republic of Haiti occupies the western third of an island called Hispanolia, and the Dominican Republic occupies the other two-thirds of the island. Uh, Haiti is actually not that big. It's approximately 10,000 square miles, roughly the size of the state of Maryland. And okay. current population, and this was, a, I think, as current as last year or maybe early this year, 1.6 million. That, that is not a lot of people. It's not. Um, there's no official religion. And interestingly enough, the country's uh, constitution has no religious restrictions. But about 50% of the population uh, consider themselves Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. The other half of the population practice, practices, excuse me, uh, the Baptist religion, Pentecostal, what's known as voodoo. And yes, mm-hmm. there is some relation to the voodoo that we heard about. We hear about some relation mm-hmm. to the voodoo that we hear about here in the States. And then among those people, there are people that don't necessarily practice any religion at all. Unfortunately, though, Haiti happens to be the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, with approximately three-fifths of the population at or below the poverty level, and about three-fifths that are under or unemployed. Now, I learned something interesting, that there's a thing called the United Nations Human Development Index, or the HDI. Okay. And it ranks countries based on life expectancy, educations of its citizens, standard of living, gross national income, things of that nature. As of the 2020 HDI, Haiti ranks 170 out of 189 countries. Wow. Wow. And just to give you an idea of why that is, 50% of school-aged children are not enrolled. 40% of its citizens do not have access to clean water. 20% do not have access to a sanitary toilet. Oh, man. And those are just a few of the, the, the stats I found as far as the state of the standard of living in that country. That's, but that's pretty disheartening. It is. It is. And it, it's, it's, to me, it struck me as much more than that, considering the creation of this country. So give you a little background on that. Um, Columbus, everybody knows that guy, mm-hmm. um, representing the Spanish, landed in the island of Hispanolia in December of 1492. And when him and his uh, 
folks got there. They found the, the indigenous people, the Teano or the Arawak, mm-hmm. um, and they populated the area there. And the Spanish, of course, rolled in, set up colonies, decided, hey, there's stuff here we want. So they pretty much enslaved the indigenous, mm-hmm. forced them to mine the mountains, because it is a mountainous country, forced them to mine the mountains for gold, and pretty much exhausted that resource. At this, wow. and, and this took place over couple of centuries. Mm -hmm. So eventually the Spanish uh, gave up their claim to that part of the island and France came about 200 years later in the 1600s, took that part of the island and they called it Saint Domingue. And I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that right. Apology. But as I mentioned, during the time that the Spanish and then the French were there, unfortunately, all the indigenous people had been pretty much annihilated. Mm-hmm. So to, I guess, alleviate that issue, the French began, quote unquote, importing slaves. Um, usually they were out of West Africa. And the rate that they brought slaves over was mind blowing up to 40,000 a year wow. during, during the time span of the Atlantic trade slave, uh, excuse my, me, slave trade era. My God. <laughs> In total, nearly 800,000 slaves were brought to Haiti, which is almost double the number that were brought to America. And in the end, by the end, the slave trade ended. Haiti accounted for roughly one third of the entire slave trade. My gosh, that is just a staggering Mm -hmm. number. Yeah. 40,000 a year. 40,000 a year. I mean, that is, that's. That's larger than, I don't know, what, half of the average city in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Like I said, it just, a lot of this stuff was just like, I had to pause and like, whoa, just. And, and of course, the French, what they found there or what they managed to establish there was incredibly lucrative because the, the uh, industry that they had going there, um, for the most part, produced coffee, rum, and sugar. And was providing France in the better part of Europe about one half of those commodities for many years. But <clears throat> as one might expect, but I bet we can't ever imagine, the conditions were absolutely atrocious for the slaves. So much so that apparently the average lifespan for a slave there was 21 years old. Oh, my gosh. So this went on for some time, uh, unfortunately, obviously, but in, um, I believe it was August, somewhere in the summer of 1791, mm-hmm. a, group, a group of slaves uh, began protesting loudly conditions on the plantations where they were forced to work. And at first it amounted to better working conditions, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And of course, the plantation owners were having none of it. So as time went on, as weeks went on, more and more slaves started to revolt. And in the course of a matter of weeks over the summer during the August of that year, more than 100,000 slaves gathered in different parts of the country and burned to the ground thousands of plantations. Oh, and wow. this, this began what was known as the Haitian Revolution. Mm-hmm. And that was the slaves rising up together and revolting against the slave owners and the plantation owners. And this revolution lasted 12 years. During this time span, however, 
while the slaves were fighting back against not only the white slave owners that lived there, but also French armies that had come in. The mm-hmm. Spanish and the British popped up and said, oh, this might be a situation we can try to take advantage of. And so they did. What was remarkable about this is that the slaves managed to hold back the slave owners, the French army, the Spanish army, and the British all at the same time. That, that's pretty impressive. It, it, it very much is. But um, by 1802, uh, Napoleon was uh, the head of the French forces, and they managed to retake control and tried to reinstate slavery. As one might think, that did nothing more but reignite more rebellions. And yeah, I was going to say, that probably re-pissed everyone off. Very much so. So by the end of 1803, the French army was defeated, and... The country was declared a free independent nation on January 1st, 1804, and was renamed to what we know it as now, the Republic of Haiti. Interestingly enough, France's defeat in the Haitian Revolution caused Napoleon to sell some land to then-President Thomas Jefferson in what was known as the Louisiana Purchase. That I did not know. I knew about the Louisiana Purchase. I didn't know that this was what, what prompted it. Haiti, Haiti led to that. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Interesting. So when you think about that kind of beginning for a country, one where slaves rose up, overtook their slave masters and managed to beat back three countries worth of armies and established themselves as a black run country. It's remarkable. And Haiti happens to be the only nation to have been established as a result of the only successful slave revolt the world it happens to be the world's oldest black republic mm-hmm. and the second oldest in the western hemisphere just behind the united states yeah both of those are fascinating uh facts they are and they're just it was remarkable to me i just when i said when i got to that part and i read through it i just kind of had to pause i'm like that's an illustrious beginning to me yeah and see this is where a lot of misinformation starts Mm -hmm. to uh, the evangelical church movement um, trying to figure out how to say it without ticking everybody in the world off that might be listening. But there are a lot of preachers in the evangelical movement that claim that in order to beat France for independence, that the leaders of the rebellion sold their soul to the devil And that is why they have all the economic issues that they have now is because they made that deal with the devil. I, of course, do not believe any of that and think that it's BS. But when that is spread through, you know, a a large uh, religious movement, I don't, not movement, but you know what I mean? That affects the way people are going to view the country of Haiti and their desire to want to help the Haitian people, mm-hmm. which, of course, even if that were the case, none of the people alive in Haiti now struck that deal. <laughs> Not a one. Not so, a one. So anyway, I didn't mean to uh, uh, go on that aside, but because I mentioned earlier some of the mis- misinformation. And so I thought, hey, that's a good opening to throw that in there. Absolutely. And, and you're right. There's there's been a quite a bit of that. Um, put out I don't know how you want to say it in the in the atmosphere about mm-hmm. the country 
you know, getting what it deserves, so to speak. It's nonsense. It's utter nonsense. And as I go on, I'll go into some of the some of the really the actual real reasons why they're in the shape that they're in now. So and and, and Satan's not part of that. I'm not assuming. not one bit. Not okay. not even an iota. <laughs> but well, I'll get to it later. Okay. Anyway, so while obviously while the revolution was successful, the battles did unfortunately destroy most of the country's infrastructure and economy, namely the crops mm-hmm. that the um that were on the plantations. But France was so cheesed at having lost, um, they wouldn't recognize Haiti as an independent country for a very long time. So eventually they came up with the bright idea that, hey, we'll recognize you as long as you pay us reparations for everything that we lost. And that includes our plantations, the money we would have made on the crops, the slaves that we lost. And by slaves that they lost, they were actually also not just to those that may have been killed during the revolution, but those Haitians that were now free people that were actually serving in the government. France was trying to claim these people as a loss. Right. Hmm. And they delivered this message by way of an ambassador from France. Hey, pay us some money. We'll recognize you. We'll leave you alone. And that messenger was accompanied by about 14 warships that sat right on the coast. Right. So Haiti felt like they didn't have much of a choice. They agreed to pay reparations to France. And at that time, the amount was roughly in those money terms, those times, money terms, $20 billion. I wanted to take a minute to issue a correction regarding what France forced Haiti to pay for their independence. In 1825, France ordered Haiti to pay quote-unquote reparations of 150 million French francs, later lowered to 90 million. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get accurate information on what that would have been in U.S. dollars at the time, but that 90 million French francs equates to roughly 20 to 30 billion U.S. dollars in today's currency. which the country clearly did not have. They're just coming off the heels of a revolution and they have very little economy with which yeah. to fund their national, their federal budget, which was roughly 10 times what Haiti had available, roughly twice as much as France's federal budget at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was absolutely, and I, it's not even just my opinion, it's a lot of what I read. There was absolutely no reason whatsoever for them to even ask for reparations or even ask for that much. But that's what happened. And interestingly enough, I found a quote by a University of Virginia scholar who says the reparations prayed to France was the, quote, greatest heist in history. And I agree with her 100%. This, that whole calling it bananas is an understatement. It was li- a literal slap in the face to that country. Like, how right. dare you take this money from us? How dare you you know, take these lucrative crops that we've been doing mm-hmm. all these years. How dare you kill our people? How you? How dare you make it inconvenient for us? We'll let you go. We'll give you your claim of legitimacy, but you're going to pay us more money than you have, more money than we need. And that's it. Yeah. I, I don't even think lapping the face is really a... It's an understatement. An appropriate term. It's, uh, I, I try to make, I want to try to make it as 
palatable as I can for the audience. When yeah. I was reading it, I had much more to say than that. And I that was something I had known about already that yeah. Haiti had had to pay France. But the dollar amount, hmm, that's, yeah, that's that's a crazy, crazy, crazy ass amount. Here's the fun part. The U.S. sided with France and said, yeah, they do owe you some money. And even yeah. after Haiti wins their independence, several countries that included the United States and, of course, France, and I believe Britain was in it as well, started blocking trade with them. Basically, to undermine all that, all that work and all that blood they put yeah. into the ground to undermine their independence. I mean, I must, I'm not making a pro or a con argument. At that time, though, the U.S. wasn't really a power, and we kind of owed France from our war for independence. And it might have been a situation where France kind of twisted our arm a bit. But also, at the same time, the southern states probably didn't want their particular slaves knowing about this thing that happened down there so that you know the other side of that coin as well you're yeah. absolutely right yeah yep and that that was part of the worry that like you said the southern states and the, and the plantation owners down there were concerned like all oh, these haitians are going to start giving our slaves these broad ideas about revolting and it might work and of course they were scared out of their knickers mm-hmm. that they were going to lose all their money but as it were um most of the bigger, more powerful countries at the time didn't unfortunately turn their backs on Haiti. Mm-hmm. And it took the country more than 100 years, 122 to be exact, to pay off those reparations because they were wow. forced to borrow money from France and several other countries, very high interest loans to pay back this loan. And they yeah. finished paying back in 1947. They were, they were the payday loan businesses of their day apparently and basically that client loan sharks basically (laughs) yes that that's a mind blower 1947 i i just hmm. so yeah by the end of the 19th century though the culture and the economy flourished again and they were having a good stretch of time until 1911 in between 1911 and 1915, the country saw either the overthrowing or the assassination of seven different presidents. Wow. So all of a sudden, the United States pops its head up again and says, hey, we've got interests here that might be compromised, namely the fact that Germany was starting to come into Haiti and establish trade with the Haitians. And mm-hmm. the U.S. was concerned about, hmm, they might be taking something away from us. So they decided, let's get over there, see what we can do about that. So that began the U.S. military occupation of Haiti that lasted from 1915 to 1934. So naturally, and I won't go into too many details, but naturally that was absolutely no picnic for the Haitian people. Yeah. Uh, To be fair, though, you probably didn't want the Germans there either. No. Because I'm I'm just saying Germans during that time frame weren't exactly fond of non-German looking people. Absolutely, but it was all about the it was all about yeah. the dollars. Yeah, no, it was uh, you know, it was sort of a do I wanna do I wanna get punched by Mike Tyson or do I wanna get punched by Sugar Ray Leonard? I mean, the lesser of the two, what can you do? Yeah. <laughs> rock rock, hard place, what can you do? And we're talking about again during this time period, Haiti was paying back this massive debt mm-hmm. in some years. That amount of money was up to 80% of its annual budget, which means there was there was no room for 
as much as they wanted to be. There was no room for the economy to grow. There was no room to to build infrastructure and establish it. There was no room in there to create jobs for people. Then the Great Depression pops up and that devastated Haiti even more because who was was taking exports? So that killed their export gain for quite a while. So now we come into the 1950s, which saw in 1957, the election of Francois Duvalier. I think, I think I'm saying yeah. his last name right. I practiced it. I'm sorry to whoever might hear this. Please don't don't massacre me. Um, he Try was better believe enough. you're about to say, then it's perfectly okay to massacre his name because he doesn't really deserve to have it <laughs> pronounced properly. You are correct. You are correct. <laughs> so, but he went by the name Papa Doc. And yeah. he started out as a doctor and he fed the Haitian people all sorts of wild and wonderful ideas about growing in the country and I'm here for you and things of that nature, you know, politics. Mm-hmm. He went one step further and one step worse in that he managed to exploit the already existing tensions between the native Haitians, which were generally divided up into two groups. The majority group were the black, lower class, um, blue collar population, Mm -hmm. but the minority or the upper class were what's known as mulattoes or the mixed race Mm -hmm. uh, population of the country. And there was already existing tensions between them for years. Papa Doc managed to exploit that and make promises to the majority in stating, I'm going here to support you. And he tried to to, um, expose all the country more to their African roots and try to steer away from the traditional French society had been had that been there for hundreds of years. Right. He tried more to have the people explore and embrace their their African roots. So he wants supporters in that fashion, but of course exploitation is exploitation. That's exactly what he did. So in his reign, which lasted from 1957 to 1971, he managed to get into Let's see. Oh, misappropriation uh, of international aid, which is on average about $15 million annually just from the U.S. alone. Extortion of local businesses, bribery of government officials, kickbacks from uh, construction projects, things of that nature. Here's the fun part. Hmm. He also took another one of the country's widely held beliefs in the religion of voodoo. Mm-hmm. And he established himself a personal militia, which was called the Tantam Makute. And he managed to, and this is one of those, I guess, one of those um, guidelines in case you want to be a dictator, stoke people's fears. And this is exactly what he did because he led the people to believe that his personal militia were made up of zombies. Well, you know, that that just seems like something he would do at this point because mm. I think he would have been a big fan of Tony Soprano. He probably was on those same lines and probably I'm going to go ahead and guess he had less of a conscience than Tony did. <laughs> so I tend to agree with you on that. Yes. So he gradually began to stack high level government positions with his own loyal followers and managed to label anybody who was in opposition to him as communist or communist sympathizers. And those people that he tagged that way were swiftly dealt with, whether it to them happened to be disappearing or being beaten or being Mm -hmm. raped or some such thing by his personal militia. In fact, he made the claim after JFK was shot, he made the claim that it happened because he put a curse 
on Kennedy. That's how that's how much he had people eating out of his hand. That's and to me that it kind of it rings it remin it rings you know reminiscent of what's going on now with with the so-called politicians that we have mm-hmm. in that they'll just they'll just babble what seems to be utter nonsense and as long as enough people believe it then they're yeah. they're they're okay. They're supported, yeah. they're protected. And it it made me wonder how many when you have a leader like this that comes into power, do they really believe what they're saying or do they believe it just up to the extent that their followers do? Mm-hmm. That really made me stop and wonder. I'm like, can they actually, like when they go home at night and take off their shoes, do they actually believe it or they're just like, hey, it worked. Let me keep doing it. I have to wonder sometimes. It, Not too hard because I feel my brain spoiling, but I have to wonder sometimes. It probably starts out with the, I can't believe they're buying this shit. Mm-hmm. And then you do it long enough to where it's, you're also believing the shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you yeah. almost brainwash yourself. I, I think that is the case. I think it does get to the case. The longer you go, the more your own lies sound like the truth. Yeah. So um, Papa Doc's reign lasted until his death in 1971. Mm-hmm. At which time his son, Jean-Claude Baby Doc, took over at the ripe age of 19. Oh, that's, that's who you want, running, running shit when you were raised by a brutal dictator. Mm-hmm. And uh, Baby Doc pretty much continued the tradition up until he was overthrown and tossed out of office in 1986. I, I had a feeling you were going to say something along those lines. I didn't <laughs> think that he was going to uh, start the Great Society. Oh, no far from it and if and if his father from what i'm from what i understood his father has a direct hand in all of the how should i put it mismanagement that's that's a kind way to put it i guess if his father Mm -hmm. had a more direct hand in how the government was run and how he wanted things done his son didn't even go that far he left most of the business to advisors and up to a certain extent his wife once he got married he was it would apparently there were instances where there would be official government meetings that him and his wife would attend and he would fall asleep in them and his wife would speak up for him that's how little he cared about these things. But it was no different um, with him than it was with his father. He took mm-hmm. get kickbacks. There was extortion. There was murder. There was disappearances. There was intimidation, so on and so forth. And like I said, overthrown by an uprising um, in 1986, and he went into exile in France. So, <laughs> of course, I, 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 fucking I France. <laughs> in France, yes. So I, I wanted to kind of, specifically talk about them because they I knew about them too I didn't know the extent of their ruthlessness again I'm putting it mildly I want to say more but I'm trying to be family friendly but yeah that's uh I mean I did just drop enough on but yeah no when you're talking about sort of torture yes that type of stuff their their brutality I'll put it that way and it gives you an idea even right here of another part of the problem that Haiti has had as far as leadership, which basically there was next to none. And I'll, I'll go in a little more detail of what happened since then with them. Um, between, well, after that point, after the, the late 80s, there was, let's see, roughly, there was a series of elections, resignations, Military coups, re-elections, more elections, more coups, 
more coups, et cetera, et cetera. And this was a series of different presidents in the course of roughly, uh, let's see, about 30, 35 years, 40 years. It was the same pattern over and over again. Mm -hmm. Elections and almost all the elections were tainted with allegations of tampering and fraud and things of that nature. So there was, I don't think there was, there's ever been an election that they've had that was completely clean, so to speak. But in addition to having such awesome leadership, the geography of Haiti, unfortunately, lent itself to be right in the path of quite a few natural disasters. So yeah. while th- these things are happening during this, this period of time, Haiti, unfortunately, gets hit repeatedly with natural disasters. Let's say, mm-hmm. let's see. And from what I found, and mind you, I may be missing something a little earlier, but I started with 2004, where there were several destructive floods, two hurricanes. A year after that, another hurricane. 2008 saw two tropical storms, two hurricanes, and those two disasters combined helped to destroy a quarter of the country's economy. And then we get to January of 2010, where the 7.0 earthquake hits Port-au-Prince. Mm-hmm. Now, and I think this is touching back on what we were talking about a couple episodes ago when yeah. you had a question about with all of the fundraising that was done, what happened? In mm-hmm. other words, why, why was Haiti still in the same position that they appeared to be then? Okay. Apparently, part of the reason was that while many international donors pledged what was apparently a total of about $5 billion to help them rebuild, mm-hmm. many of those donors fell through on their commitments. Uh-huh. Well, Not to mention what monies that were paid didn't make it to their intended uses or didn't make it to the hands that actually needed that. Which is what we pretty much had suspected was probably the case, mm-hmm. the, the second part of that. Yep. And unfortunately, in some months after the earthquake hit, the country was then hit by a huge cholera outbreak. And it was the first that Haiti had ever seen. And apparently it's been regarded to be one of the worst outbreaks in history. Oh my gosh. And for the course of years that it lasted, approximately 10,000 people were lost. And, and when I say years, the, the outbreak was still, still existed, was still going on in 2016 when yet another hurricane yeah. hit the country. Yeah, that's, so, that's the same one that hit, uh, is that the one that got uh, Puerto Rico? Or was Puerto Rico in 17? I think it was 17. I believe it was 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I vividly remember 45 in the paper towels. I try not to, but. Right, right. So anyway, so apparently by 2019, the United Nations reports that they were only meeting 30% of its funding goals for assistance for Haiti as many donor countries had fallen, fallen behind mm-hmm. on money they had already committed. So now this kind of is, and I'm, like I said, I try to make it as brief as possible. So I know there's some things I'm skipping past, but more recently, earlier this year, yeah. the next to last recent president was assassinated this past July. Yep. And mere five weeks after that, yet another earthquake, a 7.2 mm-hmm. hits the Western part of Haiti. And this would happen to be the largest natural disaster since the 2010 earthquake. Yeah. So that pretty much brings us, I suppose, up to current. And there is another president installed as we speak 
from what I'm understanding, it's not too much better than anything that it was. But that is an over, I guess, an oversight, uh, an overview of, of Haiti's history in a way up until the current time. And from from my research, I, I kind of I came to several opinions that the problems that they had started pretty much at the beginning. So yeah. when you when you talk yeah. about when the French came in and um, took over and brought in the slaves, what they started doing, even at that time, they started deforestation of the area. Mm-hmm. And as of, I believe, last year, yeah, last year, Haiti is roughly 98% deforested. And deforestation is dangerous for several reasons, namely because when you, when you do that, you pull up the topsoil mm-hmm. of the ground and you make the ground unworkable. You can't plant anything. You can't grow anything. And so what's been happening is that all these centuries that the forests and the trees have been coming down and loosening that topsoil, every natural disaster that hits the island washes away what usable soil there is. So year after year, disaster after disaster, it makes it that much harder for people to be able to grow and sustain crops year after year. And what crops they do have are small. And unfortunately, uh, they've just been... Everyone they've dealt with countrywise has treated mm-hmm. them like shit. Then the mm-hmm. people that get in power treat the country like shit. Yes. And natural disasters, obviously, you know, you can't control that. But it's mm-hmm. just like, man, that it's it's hard to not feel just disheartened and sad for you know, the, the common Haitian has nothing to do with any of this other than mm-hmm. trying to survive. Absolutely. And Interestingly enough, the Dominican Republic, which is the country right next door, has a better time of it because they're a more prosperous country and their citizens can afford to build homes, reinforce homes mm-hmm. that can withstand high winds and flooding. The average Haitian citizen cannot. The average yeah. Haitian citizen gets by on roughly, what, $2 a week or something like that? Mm-hmm. They can't afford it. It was basically what it comes down to. They can't afford... There's no jobs. Like I said, we're yeah. talking about the majority of the population being under unemployed. So there's no jobs. A lot of adult citizens turn to illegal ways to make money, drugs, yeah. weapons, gangs, kidnapping, and even extortion. Mm-hmm. So there's no, and like you said, reading all this is, is and I, I, don't, I don't even mean to minimize it, it's depressing, but I, and I can't imagine what it would be to to actually be there and try to make a yeah. way out of out of whatever they have and and yeah. to know that to know that they had such a remarkable founding yeah. that they managed to fight their way to freedom and and for the right to be able to govern themselves and like you said to have every other major nation come in at some point in their history and pretty much rape them over and mm. over and over and over again yeah yeah um you know when you're talking about deforestation mm-hmm. if i remember correctly if you Google Earth, uh, that island, you mm-hmm. can see where the border between the Dominican Republic and Haiti is mm-hmm. because there's the Dominican side. All the trees are still there. Yep. And then the other side, it's just like gone. It's If I remember correctly, it's like one of the most uh, visible from space sort of borders that you can see because of that difference in the trees. And yeah, that, oh, man. Yep. And, and like I said, when you when you put all those things together, 
um, just from its, well, not necessarily from its start, but what happened immediately after after its start, major nations turning their backs on the country, not even offering assistance to this fledgling republic. And then them having to pretty much spend their entire federal budget on paying back a country who had enslaved you know, they're citizens. Like I said, that will that will never not blow my mind. Yeah. It wouldn't that is absolutely the audacity. It's it's incredible. And as a matter of fact, there have been several instances in recent years that people have tried to lobby the French government and the French president to pay Haiti back. Because Haiti actually overpaid because the interest was so outrageous, they actually mm-hmm. paid almost double. Yeah, yeah. France should uh France should do that. Spain should, uh, you know, maybe uh, throw a couple billion their way for mm-hmm. stealing all their gold. Um, yeah, that, and there's probably no easy solution either. I don't. I mean, throwing money, yeah, that helps. But if the right people aren't there, does it help everybody? You know. It, how- yeah, and and that's and that's the thing. They've they've got so much working against them. They've got self-absorbed greedy mm-hmm. leaders they yeah. have very little very little very little viable economy um they can't even keep their own citizens employed much less be able to try to export anything of significance at this point mm-hmm. and most citizens like i said they can't afford to have you know build housing that will protect them from these natural disasters again that's just a matter of geography where they happen to be yeah. They have they're you know, they're in a path that hurricanes and tropical storms run through often. But had they been able to, like the Dominican Republic citizens have, they surely would have been protecting themselves against that the best way they could, but they, they can't afford to. Yeah. And like yeah. I said, it's a variety of things that have been working against them almost from the beginning. So when you get to, you know, the hurt the um the earthquake in twenty ten and all the so called assistance they were supposed to get. Even if they had seen all that money directly from donors straight to their hands, bypass the government. Let it be some NGO or some outside assistance group helping them. That still almost would have been a mere drop in the bucket. Yeah. yeah. To try to that wouldn't I don't I don't believe that would have ever been enough to get them on their feet. It would have been like a Band-Aid on a gaping gut wound. Yeah. Honestly. So that's uh, that was uh, uh, not fun thing to learn about it's sobering it really is and it got me to thinking how as much as we complain not you and i per se but as much as americans complain about certain things there's so much of it that's so petty in comparison to what these people have to go through and it's no wonder Um, it's no wonder they're trying to leave and go somewhere else where they have a better chance it's no wonder yeah i mean are the poorest of the poor here is still probably better off than the typical Haitian. And, and that's what I was thinking about. I'm like, granted, we do have areas in the country that are, you know, poverty stricken, but still I can't, whatever, whatever thing I was complaining about earlier this week, guess what? I was complaining about it in a house with yeah. a roof and, and electricity. You know what I'm saying? Like standard yeah. living is based on those things. There's a running water. Is it potable? Do they have access to electricity? Do they have access to sanitary, you know, sanitary um, uh, bathing areas and toilet areas? Those things that we take for granted because most of us have them right there down mm-hmm. the hall. Yeah. 
And these people had literally, some of these people have to walk miles to get to a working toilet. Yeah. Yeah. That's. And I, I can't, in no way can I imagine having to go through it over and over and over and over again and having natural disaster after disaster come through and then having the eyes yeah. of the world on you and everybody's opening their wallets. Oh, we're going to help you. And then nothing. Yeah. That, you know, just, just knowing that I, I can't in, you know, good conscience be against any uh, Haitian immigrant trying to come through the Southern border, not allowing them to come here. No, I, I can't either. And, and especially the way that we saw they were treated when they got here. And it's, yeah. and I suspect, I hope, well, I suspect that's not, unfortunately, not an unusual thing that's happening at the border because, of course, we've always had um, people trying to immigrate through the southern border. But seeing those visuals and then, you know, some months later, coming back and finally going in depth and reading about their history, you know, very deeply. It's just, it's, it's sobering. It really is. I, I can't put yeah. any better than that. It's sobering. And it puts a lot of things in perspective, honestly. Yeah, it, it really does. It, for one, it, it does make me glad that I, you know, have what I have, you know, was born here in America. Is it perfect? no, um, but I am still, <laughs> you know, I am still better off than most of the world, to be honest, even, even on my worst days, I'm still better off than the majority of the world. Yeah. When you put it like that, I can, I can, we can have bad days, which, you know, because we're here talking, we've made it through hundred percent of them, but right. we've had the added advantage of for all of our lives being fed and housed and educated and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And yeah. like I said, just putting that in perspective and realizing that those basic things that, you know, they're supposed to be basic rights of human beings, period. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not basic for a lot of people. Yeah. They're, they're not. And then, then they consider those kinds of things as luxuries. We're over here complaining because we had to stay in the line for the new Jordans or some nonsense like that. We're here. We're here bitching because we have to wear a freaking mask in a store to stop the people from getting sick from something mm -hmm. and people in Haiti can't afford the damn mask. Thank you. Uh, they, it, you know, they, they have to go miles to be able to, to, to get any kind of sanitary conditions to be able to stay clean and keep yeah. themselves from catching anything. It's just, like I said, it, petty. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Oh um, boy. I'm like you. I'm glad I was born here. I, obviously, I can't imagine having come from anywhere else. And I'm not here to, by any means, um, say one country or any place is better than another. But when you consider, when you, when you go into certain countries' histories, like Hades, for instance, you see where their breakdown was. And you see mm -hmm. it came almost at the beginning. And they almost, it almost seems like they never had a chance. Yeah, to be able yeah. to grow successfully. And despite all of this, they do have a very rich culture in that country, because mm -hmm. just like in this country with the descendant of slaves, a lot of those slaves, once they were brought from different countries in Africa, were cut off from their culture and their religions. And so they had to build a culture all over again using what they had or what they remember from their home countries. Mm -hmm. They built 
a new culture, which is exactly what the Haitians did. So they have a very rich traditional culture, you know, with, of course, with French influences still, of course. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they have African influences in there. And then from there, with those things combined, they managed to build a very individual, very specific culture. And I, like I said, reading through this, I try not to forget that there has to be, there has to be some, some measure of spirit and will. Yeah. For for yeah. them to be able to to continue on. It has to be. Yeah. And I envy that. I envy having that kind of will, but I don't have I don't envy having to have it because I have to live <laughs> in a place like that. You know what I mean? I, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. It you're you're impressed by like the the testicular fortitude of the people that are there. Yes. To survive that. Yes. But at the same time. And, you know, and you wish, man, I wish I had that kind of fortitude, but you don't want to have to go through what they went through to have that fortitude. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't wish that on anybody, Yeah, you know, yeah. at all. And, and for, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, histories of other countries, especially countries that are majority people of color. I'm sure there are histories that are similar to this mm-hmm. because I mean, the French still own colonies and colonies in Africa as we speak. Yeah. So, and they're not letting that go. So it's just like, yeah, hmm. yeah. Just while we're talking about France, mm-hmm. um, you are aware that they actually used a, like the last time they used a guillotine was in 1977, like three days after the release of Star Wars: A New Hope. That is an interesting fact that I did not know. Yeah, 77. Yeah. Huh. I just figured uh. since we're talking about how shitty the French are, I'd throw that out there. I mean, Jerry Lewis, what else do you need? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that that messed wild, with you, didn't it? While depressing to hear all of that, mm-hmm. it's something that we need to to hear. And it's definitely, you know, it wasn't because they sold their soul to Satan or anything no. like that. It's just been external forces, internal forces, natural disasters, and they just can't they just can't get you know, it's not even with them one step forward and two steps back. It's half a step forward and 14 steps back. It, it, it just seems like. And mm-hmm. only thing maybe I can think of is we need to, as a people, do a better job of communicating to our federal legislatures that we do think that Haiti, tying into what we talked about, two episodes ago with foreign aid that Haiti does need foreign aid mm-hmm. and desperately. And that's something that, that not only do we need to give them, it, it needs to be like a priority. And if there are any loans that Haiti has like outstanding to the United States from who God knows who went, you know, when, where, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that needs to be forgiven. If, if they have any, I, I don't know if, you know, there's any debt owed to the U S but, from if there what is, I, it needs to be forgiven. From what I read, no. But there was an attempt, and I think it was Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, that tried to offer them a loan. But it kind of fell through because their debt was so huge. Yeah. And of course, you know, the offering and the loan was pretty much, you know, in the interest in the interest of the United States. Yeah. But there was an attempt. So from what I read, no, there is no debt um, to the United States. Uh, that right. the that the, the Haitians own, but what what my opinion is, and and I agree with what you were saying, but in addition, I think they need to be left alone. 
especially when it comes to their government, because yeah. too many, too many instances in their history, other countries, including the United States, have meddled in establishing and, you know, electing uh, presidents and establishing yeah. a, a governing body. Too many countries have interfered with that. And oftentimes the government has not represented the will of the people. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It needs to be sort of a two-pronged thing of here's the money, but we're going to let you guys, we're not going to interfere with your government. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we can help you come in and, you know, put down new sewage systems or whatever, mm -hmm. we're here for you. Mm -hmm. It really, it really is something that has to literally start from the ground up. Like literally, yeah. like you said, infrastructure, you know, mm -hmm. talking about sanitation systems we're talking about electrical grids all all of those things literally starting from the bottom and working their way back up to something sustainable but like yeah. i said it it can't happen like you said without an influx a large influx of um, financial assistance and mm -hmm. probably labor like they need hands they need people mm -hmm. to go over yeah. there and and direct these things and build and train the citizens and employ the citizens to do this stuff and, and give them a sense, some kind of sense of purpose in building their own country up. That needs to happen. And like I said, in addition, yes. they need to have a government that's not greedy and self-serving that actually wants right. to serve the people. We need to have like a uh, jobs core Haiti edition, you know, Something jobs like core to the Haitian edition. Something like and that. Yes. Is if that aid could be, as shitty as it sounds, we could almost build a tent city outside Port-au-Prince, have everyone in there. The tent city is probably no worse than the conditions they're in now. It's interesting. Bulldoze Port-au-Prince, mm -hmm. start over from, you know, sewage on up, rebuild that whole damn town, and then everybody could move in. And I know that's. I mean, not you're not happen, far off. Yeah. There, there, there were tent cities and shacks going up quite quite rapidly in Port-au-Prince that, mm -hmm. that was that was exactly what was happening there especially after the um, the 2010 earthquake a lot of people escaped to Port-au-Prince and the city started getting overcrowded they, there's no real good estimate on the population that city because so many people come and go mm -hmm. so often but I see yeah. what you're saying I mean they start in one spot raise it down to the ground start di start digging go from underground up and then move people back and go one part at a time like you know we're here to save the world we're just throwing out suggestions so <laughs> yeah but it, yeah. It, it, but it's and I, i'm sure i can speak with jack when i say we, we don't we don't make light of this and we don't minimize it it's just when you hear about stuff like that you're folks like us we're just we're just spurned to, to try to say maybe this can work maybe this can work yeah. we're here to offer opinions just like everybody else so what we're yeah, doing is yeah. not minimizing it or anything like that so no no there's there's no there's no easy solution easy mm -hmm. fix for Haiti. haiti you almost you almost have to take the most extreme route to fix things just mm -hmm. to you know get things up to a decent standard because you need to you know education but trades mm -hmm. you have to learn trade there's probably not heavy equipment over there to dig out so that you can have, you know, citywide sewage systems. And it's hard to put that in when all you have is, you know, shovels and you don't have ex excavators. Yeah. 
I mean, you literally have shovels and they dig ditches. That's about the extent of it. Yeah. So, so, and not to mention, and, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that kind of escaped both of us, but security forces need yeah. to build up a military or a police force, you know, mm-hmm. with so many people engaging in illegal activity, you have to rein that in because what's the point of doing all that work? If someone's going to come in there and either steal the raw materials or sabotage it or look for kickbacks or something yeah. of that nature, there's so many things, so many things that have to go into. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the spreadsheet for the help that Haiti needs is a pretty damn big document. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we have once again been at it for roughly an hour. Mm-hmm. And I know that we usually try to have a WTF moment that mm-hmm. we start off with. We, we skipped that today just because we sort of knew that it was going to be a kind of a serious, depressing thing. And we just didn't feel that WTF and was appropriate for, <laughs> for the subject. So. Not today. <laughs> not today. I mean, we'll, we'll be back up to speed. Yeah. You know. But yeah. not today. This was, like I said, it was it was sobering and it was it was sad. But in in but at the same time, it was remarkable, you know, yeah. to to learn more about the history of the creation for the country. So yeah. to me, this was this was definitely a worthwhile topic and definitely yeah. worthwhile thing to research. And if anybody listening, you know, is interested in further information on it, please do some research, read up on it. I think you'll be surprised at what mm-hmm. you find. Um, yeah. besides what we talked about today so yeah um it's like i say sometimes history is well not sometimes most of the time history is ugly and dirty and you can't ignore the ugly parts of history because hopefully by learning the ugly parts of history it'll make the future pretty yeah i mean it, they always say if you don't learn from history you're doomed to repeat it well i don't know if you know, humans are just learning deficient or what? Because we keep repeating things over and over again. But yeah, at, at the mm-hmm. very least, there is something in educating yourself. And like Jack said, it may be unpleasant, but the truth often is so. Yep. Yeah. So with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate all of the research you did on that. It mm-hmm. was uh, definitely worth learning about. I got to start somewhere. And, you do. You know, even if it's just hounding your federal legislator to get Haiti more foreign aid. Definitely that. that that'll be worth it. You know, yep. even if they only get an extra million dollars in Haiti, a million dollars go a long way. It, it, it would do something as, as long yeah. as it gets to the right hands. It would do something. Yep. So, but... So. Like I said, as, as sobering as this episode was, we're glad you stuck with us. We hope you learned something. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just add, if I might, yeah, a little, and this is unrelated, um, just a little blurb about coming into the new year. It may sound a little naive, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see a little more consideration for our fellow man in this year coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like I said, maybe naive but i I don't hope is free so i don't think there's any wrong in in wishing for that Um, i'm Mm -hmm. not saying i've always been the best person but in terms of 
looking out for my fellow man and doing my best to not intentionally hurt some hurt anybody directly or otherwise. I think I've done a pretty good job. I'm not saying everybody's going to be like me, obviously not, but I hope people have better intentions for themselves and each other as we go through this next year because something's got to give and it I, shouldn't I be us. I, I agree. Do try to do all your interactions with other people from uh, from the position of love and kindness first. Yes. As hard as that can be sometimes dealing with people. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that, uh, this will be coming out before uh, New Year's Eve. So I hope everybody be careful out there. Don't drink and drive. Call uh, Uber mm-hmm. if, you're, uh, if you're out there. And uh, if you can stay home and have you know a few friends and family over and do it that way and not have to worry about dealing with drunks on the road you know, do that as well. And I uh, hope whatever college football team you root for <laughs> on New Year's Day bowls win. And unless you're rooting for Alabama, which case I don't want you to win. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> with that. Um, like good wishes to everyone, but Alabama. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they've, They've had a pretty good run there. So anyway, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Uh, with that, I'm, uh, I'm going to say bye and we'll, I guess, catch you on the next one. Bye everyone. Jack here. Both Kenyetta and I feel that if we're going to have the name of our podcast, have saved the world in it, that we need to give back to the community. So we've each selected a charity to do that. Kenyetta's charity is the black woman's health imperative and they help black women receive medical care and treatments that they might not otherwise be able to receive. And you can donate to them at www.bwhi.org. And my charity is the Service Dog Project, and they train uh, Great Danes to be service dogs for people who need, well, service dogs. And... Great Danes, because of their size, are able to do things that certain other breeds just can't do. If you feel like donating to them, they can. you can do so at www.servicedogproject.org. And if you feel like giving to one or both of these charities, that would be great. If you are unable to, that's fine also. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button. 